Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. With me today is Dr. Liz Hale. She's a marriage and family therapist. And today we are talking about making peace with anxiety and depression. And Dr. Liz, this is a big one for me. I'm a very anxious person. Everyone who knows me knows that very, very clearly. I do suffer with depression. And this time of year is exceptionally hard for me because it's darker and colder. Um, I don't so much hate the storminess, but the darker and colder does have an impact on how I feel about life. So how do we, how do we come to grips with anxiety and depression? First of all, I'm so impressed how honest and candid you are, because that is half the battle. It's just saying, you know what, I struggle with this. Who, Who doesn't struggle with anxiety and depression? And I realize, Maria, there's a there's a spectrum, right, of mild, moderate to severe. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to know where we fall in that, in that realm. And sometimes even that varies. Even that varies. I had lunch recently with a dear friend whose husband is a bishop of a singles congregation. They're like in their 20s, right, 20 mm-hmm. to 30. And he often comes home from these meetings and he says to my good friend, his wife, he goes, oh, my gosh, everybody has anxiety and depression. Hmm. It's anxiety and depression. Everybody says, I struggle with anxiety and depression. (laughs) He goes, I don't even know that that was in my vernacular when I was in my 20s. And it's not that feeling anxious and depressed is a problem. That's, That's really quite common. It's a very natural feeling. But it's what we tell ourselves about feeling anxious and depressed. That's often the problem. What we tell ourselves is, there's got to be something wrong with me. No one else seems to feel the way I do. Everybody else is dealing with life just fine. What's wrong with me? Everybody else is happy, but I'm broken and flawed because I'm certainly not happy and I'm anxious and depressed. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that? That we put a lot of effort into feeling good or society tells us that we should be happy all the yeah, time? Yeah, we should be happy all the time for sure. Yes. And Facebook makes it look that way for sure. Even oh, with me. I don't goodness. ever post when I'm anxious or depressed. That's for sure. Because <laughs> uh, then I, just get a, I get a ton of people who tell me how lucky I am, which I already know. I know how fortunate I am. I'm blessed with a lot of different things. But that doesn't mean that every once in a while I'm not feeling really down. Absolutely. Even TV commercials, right, tell us you buy this product, get the service, you'll be happy. It and never works. Thing, and that's the thing to do. You know, there's a great book I came across. Um, I had actually typed up this segment before I even found the book. I typed a segment called Making Peace with Anxiety and Depression. Sure enough, there, there's a book uh, written by the late Dr. Amar Barada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talk about a great little find. He and I are very much 
like-minded when it comes to these feelings are natural and normal. And then in digging a little deeper, so some of our listeners may want to know about that book, Making Peace with Anxiety and Depression by Amar Barada. Digging a little deeper, I found a podcast by one of his students, Marshall Bolin, and it's called Making Peace with Emotions. You know, believing you're abnormal is truly the first problem. Okay, There's so if I don't think I'm between, abnormal, I have a few flaws, good, but I don't necessarily good. think, mm, I've that's got an important, a big That's problem. an important distinction, though, Maria. Believing you're abnormal versus knowing you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Too often we have this conviction that we're impaired or irreversibly defective when we have these negative emotions like anxiety and depression. We think something is terribly wrong with us. So we, have, we wage this war against ourselves. And we think these feelings are flawed or unacceptable and must be eliminated. Those are really strong convictions. And and some of my clients actually argue, but there is something wrong with me. No one else really does feel this way, Liz. I'm the only one. Something's terribly wrong. My feelings are not normal. No one else really feels the way I do. But, oh, yes, they do. And that label just makes it even worse for us. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That is the problem. Believing you're abnormal is is the first problem. But everyone else can relate to this humanness or some variation of what you felt. And maybe that's also a hard truth, that we're not all that unique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not easy either. But when we process emotions as, oh, this is natural, this is normal, this is just going through the circumstances of life, by making simple sense of it and by seeing this emotion as this is an acceptable human experience, it seems that then we really are less troubled. Right. So how do our emotions then prove that meaning? You know, a client recently told me when I inquired, I said, you know, what's, what's really important to you, Jill, I'll call him. Between now and the end of your life, Jill, what, what, are you really, what are you hoping that you look back on your life and you will have found the most meaning from? Is it, is it eternal life? Is it your marriage, your family? He goes, no, I just want everyone around me to be happy. Mm. I mean, you really did value Happy. And of course, when we love someone, my dad, I know, would always say to me, Liz, I just want you to be happy. And I, I get that. And yet, at what cost do we try to only be happy? Would this gentleman, Joe, would he, um, would it be more of value to teach his children how to roll with all the emotions throughout life? Because we are not just happy. None of us are. So these emotions, whether they're primary or secondary, positive or negative, are normal acceptable and essential to our well-being. And and they instruct us on what we need to do. And they don't need to be controlled or eliminated. They just need to be noticed. It's like, oh, there's that feeling again. Mm -hmm. It's not dangerous, but there's that feeling again. And it seems like the harder we try to control it, the worse it becomes. So there is something about just that acceptance. Uh, There's something about noticing, too, that I think is super important. And I know what has worked for me is people say, oh, you've done all these things. Well, I've done all these things because I am a little anxious or do you know what I mean? So I can see where my feelings have proven my negative feelings, what I would, you know, most people would consider negative. I have used those in a way that have become more positive. They have indeed worked for for you, haven't they? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, negative thoughts and emotions are not signs of, of emotional impairment. They actually tell us what needs to be attended to, right? They guide us, in other words. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like you, 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 sometimes you try a little harder to compensate maybe, right, mm-hmm. for the anxiety. You try to control those things that you can. Is that a little bit what you're saying? 
Well, I just kind of jump into it. I'm very, I get very nervous in front of big crowds. And so I just try to do that. Even though I don't like it, I try to do it just to get better at it. And you it does show help. up anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that, that just makes do it a lot anyway. <laughs> I know I'm going to be anxious and I'm going to do this anyway. Mm-hmm. I, otherwise, I like you that. miss so much. Uh, otherwise, you miss so much of when life. you try to avoid. Yes. Yeah. Well and said. even, like you said, control. When those negative emotions, when you, when you use them for the positive aspects of life, let's say you're driving in a new neighborhood and a car suddenly plows dangerously in front of you in the middle of this intersection and you slam on your brakes to avoid that, the crash and all of that happens automatically. But without that anxious response, you wouldn't be aware of the danger. You wouldn't be able to react by slamming on your brakes. Anxiety signals it, signals us and it guides us. Now, after our, you know, our heart is done beating a million times a minute, right? That certainly gets <laughs> right. our attention. Then we figure out what just happened. And when we examine the, the intersection, we realize that there's a large tree branch completely blocking the stop sign on your side of the road. So that's the problem, right? And then, then we do something about it. We call the city so the branches can be removed and other people hopefully can avoid an accident at that intersection, we develop emotional problems when we focus on things that are working well. Like in that moment of the intersection, what was working well? The negative thoughts and the feelings. And we neglect the circumstances causing them. We neglect getting really curious that, oh, my gosh, the stop sign's being covered up. I actually see this a lot in marriage. So many times partners are convinced that they chose the wrong person when they got married. A husband recently said this to me. He goes, you know what? God is probably really disappointed in me for choosing my wife. I don't think I got an answer to prayer when I decided to marry her. So I think he's disappointed. He's he's looking at those negative emotions so much, Maria, that he's not focusing on what do I do to make this the right, to make myself even the right person for this marriage. Mm -hmm. So we focus so much on the negative thoughts that we don't even look at the circumstances. Say, wait a minute, we need to put a lot more energy into what is. How do I make this relationship better? So try not to focus on the negative. Well, you, well the point being is the negative, we think it's the negative, right? Our anxiety right, and depression. It gets all of our <laughs> attention instead of saying, what just happened here? What's causing this anxiety and depression? Well, my marriage did or that near accident did. And what do I need to learn about that? So it's much different than trying to not focus on your negative emotions and feelings are working well. (laughs) That's working fine. There's a reason why we feel them. But now let's look at the circumstances. Why am I feeling depressed today? You know what? I totally forgot about that upset, upsetting text I got from my cousin whose mother-in-law is dying. I forgot about that. It's really affecting me. I need to go reach out to her. We just sometimes don't even recognize the circumstances. So pay attention. Where, what is this teaching me? So we won't be troubled by what is troubling us. We're creating a bigger problem, aren't we? We make friends with it. It's like, oh, no wonder I have those feelings. I'm so glad I have those feelings. It reminded me that I need to attend to that text. I need to attend to my marriage. I'm so grateful I have anxiety and depression. It's informing me. It's not dangerous. It's informative. It's all about attitude and how your perspective of your whatever it is you think is your weakness is, right? I guess it's our, it's our viewpoint. You know, we, we think we have a lot of control. That's just an illusion. We think we have a lot more control than we actually do. Thoughts land on you and I all day long. 
And the, the harder we try to prevent those thoughts and feelings, guess what? The more we reinforce it. Have you ever heard that adage that whatever you resist persists? Mm-hmm. It's true. It, it is so we true. We call it in psychology, we call it the rebound effect. Trying to control your thought makes you think about them more, not less. The more you try to eliminate feeling anxious, the more anxious you become. The more you try to control depression, the more your depression gets out of control. Have you ever, you, maybe you've known someone who's been in quicksand, or we often hear about quicksand, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the worst thing to do is to move violently around, right? right? Hard to escape. Really trying hard faster. to escape. Yes. Yep. You try too hard to escape or you don't try at all. That's the worst things to do. What's the best thing to do in quicksand or even emotional quicksand, I might add, is to make slow back and forth movements. Because the harder I try, the more stuck and helpless I feel. So how do I set myself free of emotional quicksand? Slow back and forth movements. Strong, vigorous attempts like mind control are the problem. So let's incorporate some new beliefs. One is that thoughts cannot be controlled. And two, leaving them alone promotes peace. Dr. Liz, always great advice. Any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Well, just, just again, that we're troubled by what troubles us, right? That's really the heart and soul of emotional problems. We shame ourselves for shaming ourselves. Simple feelings and thoughts are never the problem. Nothing much happens when we accept them. They're not dangerous. But when we decide to be troubled by them and we tend to perpetuate them, that's when they become chronic. And, you know, the opposite cycle also exists, Maria. The more accepting you are of yourself, your thoughts, your feelings, the calmer and more accepting and peaceful you'll feel overall. I love it. Love the advice. Thank you so much. Make peace. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. Have a great day. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.